So if you have your Bibles open to Romans, I want to read verses 11 through 15. And God's inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Father, we would now just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. We ask that your spirit would illuminate this text for us so that we not only know and understand what it is saying, but also how it applies to our life. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. COVID has taken its toll on everyone. Sadly, COVID has taken the life of many. And yet, maybe the greatest tragedy of COVID we're just starting to experience. The greatest loss. Maybe we're just beginning to understand. And and, and that, that very well may be the fear and the isolation that COVID has brought to us and among us. Yesterday, I was at Walmart. Uh in Pocomoke there, and you know, there's conversations that just happen in the aisle for no apparent reason, and uh, so I was just looking at the tea aisle there and stuff, and uh, the lady was there, and and I was looking at tea, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, you know, and I said, no, you're fine, you're, 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 I'm just right here, and then I just kind of looked at her, smiled a little bit, and I said, if I don't wanted you to move, I'd have just pushed you, you know, and then she kind of looked at me, and And then she laughed and realized. And so we just started talking, and this very thing came up. And she's like, you know, I just think we're tired. And I said, I know I am. I think we're all just tired and stressed out. And I think that's a byproduct of of what COVID has brought us, is this this isolation and in this this fear. And and some of it is is, is well-founded. I mean, some of it we need to be concerned. So certainly don't misunderstand me this morning. But I think also to recognize uh, that community is so important. And there's a word that I often hear since COVID lockdown. It's something that sometimes I get fixated on a word, and, and it's kind of like when you buy a car, then all of a sudden you see your car everywhere, and it's this word community. And you see and you, and you hear, if you listen for it, and, and I invite you to do that as you listen to songs, commercials, radio, TV, whatever, uh, your podcast, wherever it may be, you hear this word community constantly, and you hear it everywhere. People crave community. And I'm not just speaking about the spiritual community, community in general. People crave community. Human flourishing exists only in community. The devastation of loneliness has flourished in this season of COVID. People need community. I was reading an article on our, on our prison systems, and... Um, there was a there was a uh, inmate there named Anthony Graves. And it just said that Anthony Graves spent 18 years on death row. 
10 years in solitary confinement for a murder he didn't commit. He said, I would watch guys come into the prison totally sane. And in three years, they didn't live in the real world anymore. He said one of his fellow inmates would would go out into the recreation yard. This gets a bit graphic. He would go out in the recreation yard and get naked, lie down, and urinate all over himself. And he would take his feces and smear it all over his his face. A A bit graphic, but when you think about what solitary confinement can do to a person. And here's a good reason why why the uh, solitary confinement is under scrutiny in our prison systems, and yet many choose willingly to to confine themselves when it comes to their Christian community. They choose to disengage from a Christian community, not finding it important or meaningful. And, And Paul here, especially in these few verses, and really in this whole introduction, He understands the toll it takes on the spiritual health of a person without any sense or form of community. That's what Paul here is writing to this church in Rome, which, by the way, Paul had never met these people. This was not a church that Paul had even planted. And so in verses 11 through 12, I've simply titled this here as a stronger together. And I want you to hear Paul. I want you to hear what he's saying here in these first few words of verse 11. For I long to see you. For I long to see you. Now this longing, this is a sense of a strong desire for something. And it has implications that it's not just a longing, but that there's a literal need There's a need that Paul has. There's a need that is not being fulfilled. That's the sense in which Paul now writes to this church in Rome. He has his great, deep longing, but it's not a longing. It's not necessarily just a desire. It's literally this this need that Paul is saying. In 1 Peter 2, verse 2, Peter wrote something very similar here when he said, like newborn babies, long. Long for the pure milk of the word, he says, but the analogy he is using is long, those newborn babies that long for the milk, right? It's this longing, it's this craving. And I know a little grandbaby, I know when she wanted her milk, boy, she let everybody know about it, and she had a craving for it all right, right? And that's the sense that Paul is giving us and the sense that, that Peter has here, that there's this longing for the pure milk of the word as, Paul, as Peter here transitions from the physical human need for, for substance, for, for food, to the word. And then he goes on and he says, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So that by this need and this desire for the word, you can grow in your salvation, grow... <clears throat> in your sanctification, a good theological term for you, right, as we continue to grow closer to God. But why does Paul have this desire? Why does Paul have this longing that he expresses here in verse 11? If we continue reading in verse 11, he says, so that, of course, this is why, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established And here is why Paul has this longing. He wants to impart some spiritual gift to them 
Now, we shouldn't think of this necessarily as, as one of the apostolic gifts, spiritual gifts that he wanted to impart on them, but a sense of his heart, his inward heart, this, this, this desire to, to be with him. And he's going to tell us exactly what that is shortly. But he says, I want to do it so that you may be established. And the ESV has the word strengthen. And, and I like to use the NASB, and it tries to stick maybe... A, a, Anyways, um, in your footnotes of your Bible, you will see that it says strengthen. But I like the word established because in the English, strengthen doesn't necessarily give us the sense that the Greek wants us to understand here. The word established is really to shore up. It's really to, 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 to dig in, if you will. It's really to, to build a, a strong foundation. It's to be established, to be unmovable is the sense, not just grow stronger, but to literally be unmovable, unshakable is the word here in how we should understand uh, this word. And this is why Paul longs to see them, because he's got this spiritual gift that he wants to give to them so that their faith, this is Christian people that he's writing to, so that their faith is strengthened and is shored up and it's made sure, if you will. And then he's going to tell us here, or it goes beyond that, he's going to uh, uh, tell us what that is. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, he says that I will always be ready, Peter writes there, to remind you of these things. And then Peter says, even though you already know them, but yet he wants to remind them again, and have been established, it's our word here again, having been established in the truth which is present in you. You see that Paul and Peter both had the same desire. These are Christian people that they are writing to. And yet again, he's reminding, he's almost being redundant just to make sure that they get it and are reminded once again of what that is. And the way that Paul is going to do that is in verse 12. He's going to do it through encouragement. You see that in verse 12. He continues to expand upon verse 11 by saying, that is... So he wants to do some clarification. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul is taking a step back and saying, it's not just for your sake that I long to see you, but I long to see you also for my faith, that together we encourage and strengthen each other. Now, this word here for uh, that, that's translated uh, as encouragement, it's really um, one word, uh, but in our English, it is this, that I may be encouraged together with you. It's one word. It's a long compound word, and it's just, uh, uh, and, and it only has this particular meaning here, here in mind. Um, and and, and it's, it's to be encouraged from the root, kaleo, would be to call, to summons, to urge. And then there's a bunch of prefixes before that, and they give us a different sense of what they are. And, and one of them, in the sense of it, is also ecclesia, that we know that we get our church, that we get the word church. It's really congregation, that you get this gathering of people. And it's from this definition here that we get this long sentence that I may be encouraged together with you. It's together at the same time, depending upon one from the other. And we should be reminded of Hebrews 10.25, right, that tells us not to forsake the gathering together. Why? So that you can be encouraging one another. 
And all the more the author of Hebrews write that as you see the time, as you see the time drawing near, the day drawing near. Paul and Barnabas on their missionary endeavors, they sometimes circled back to churches they had already implanted. And here in Acts chapter 14, we see this. We see one such scenario. They go back for this purpose, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. A verse that is very popular, very fond for many of us, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, right? You do it together, you do it in community. And I might also offer to you that it's often from our pain, it's often from our experiences, it's often from our life journey that we minister or encourage most authentically, most sincerely, most meaningful to others, to others. I, uh, in Luke chapter 22, there's a, there's a, I, I have lots of favorite verses, so I need to quit saying that, but there's, there's, there's a couple of verses that are very meaningful there. And it's Jesus talking to Peter. And I like Peter. He messed up everything. Man, I mean, there's only one anyways. He, I, I love that guy. But Peter, Jesus says there to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon. He called him by his Greek name. Simon's or Jewish name. Simon, Simon. Satan has demanded permission to sift Jew like wheat. But then Jesus says, but I, but I have prayed for you. Now, if Jesus prayed for Simon, don't you think that's a pretty effective prayer? But I have prayed for you. Why? That your faith, that when you return, that you go to your brothers and that you strengthen your brothers. It is out of this complete failure, this collapse of Peter, that out of it, you could almost call it a phoenix, right, rose in a way that Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this utter failure, I will build my church. And when you return, Peter, you strengthen the brothers. This is what Paul is telling the church at Rome. We need to come together so that we can strengthen and encourage each other. It is a a two-way street here that Paul is pointing out to them. It's not just so that I can encourage you but that you would also encourage me in that together our faith is established. Verse 13. In verse 13, I want you to notice there the result. The result of this encouragement, this is the result of, of coming together. Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you. And he puts his little parenthesis in there, but we'll skip that. So that, here again is the reason why. Paul says that, so that I may have some fruit among you, even as I did among the rest of the Gentile people. This is why he wants to come. He wants to come to harvest some fruit among the people. He wanted, he wanted a reward. He was expecting a harvest. Fruit discernment is a tricky thing, is it not? 
Paul is saying here, I want to harvest some fruit. And fruit discernment can be a tricky thing as we try to understand what that fruit may be. You know, I was, uh, there was a, there was a, when we lived in Washington State, of course, the state of apples, um, but among many things, apples and salmon too. Anyways, uh, there was lots of orchards, and there was a guy in our church, and he had this little orchard, and he always had a hard time getting help because most people went to the big orchards. And so I, I felt for the man, and we were trying to get some guys, to, guys together, so I got some young guys together, and we went down there to pick some apples. And uh, we went down there and spent a Saturday picking the apples, and me being a production guy, I mean, and I'm also very competitive, so it's all about how many apples I could pick, and I could outwork these young guys, you know. Um, that's what I was trying to prove to myself, I guess. But, but I, I picked apples, and, uh, and Dave was his name, and he, he came to me, and he was kind of upset with my apple-picking ability. I didn't realize there was like a technique on apples. I mean, that apples, when you go to the grocery store, you don't want finger impressions in them. You, know, you want to be careful with them because if, there's, if you put too much pressure on the apple, it'll have a brown spot, and we don't like those brown spots. And so me, in my in trying to impress myself, uh, I wasn't picking the apples very well. But I will tell you, I picked more apples than anyone else. Um, but I didn't do a very good job of picking those apples. And, and, and you know, so what, what's the point, right? And so, so just because we've got a bushel basket full of apples doesn't mean the fruit's necessarily all that good. And so it can be very difficult to discern fruit. We must... We must expect a harvest. We want fruit. Everybody wants to make a difference. I wanted to make a difference that day in picking all these apples. Everybody wants to make a difference, right? But we must allow God to define what that difference is. See, sometimes I want to tell God, okay, God, my difference is going to be picking 25 baskets of apples. No. You get, you get it, right? And so we need to be careful on how we define how we are making a difference. But we also need to desire to make a difference. And I think every single one of us does want to desire to make a difference. But let's let God define what that difference is. Well, that's the, Paul's goal for coming here to these Roman Christians. Now let's go on to the 14 and 15. Paul is a difference maker. He does it through preaching the gospel. In verses 14 and 15, Paul says that I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And, and here we get the, in these three verses, or adding on verse 16 yet, so 14, 15, and 16, we've got three I am statements of Paul. Some call it I am statements of Paul. I don't really like to care for that because... That doesn't seem quite right, uh, but nonetheless, here they are. Verse 14, Paul says, I am under obligation. Verse 15, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel. Verse 16, as we'll see next week, I am not ashamed of the gospel. These are the three I am statements, and they're, and they're, they're good ones, and so I just put them before you uh, now, and so you can maybe ponder on them a little bit later. But Paul started his letter to the Romans in verse 1, obviously, with, with I am a slave, of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And now here in verse 14, he says, I am under obligation. Again, if you would look at the footnote in, in any decent Bible, you will see there that it's probably going to have a footnote there that says debtor. 
And Paul is literally saying, I am in debt. I am a debtor to both the Greeks, to the barbarians, to both the wise and the foolish, the cultured, the uncultured, those who are educated, those who aren't educated. Uh, that's what Paul is referring to, referring to here. And now he says he is a debtor. He's under obligation to those in Rome, maybe, Maybe those Christians in Rome were supporting Paul's ministry, and he felt this need, this desire, this debtedness to them, and rightly so. That could be a sense of what Paul is saying, but, and it's certainly part of it. But really what Paul is saying here, as he started out this letter, he says that I am a slave to Christ. Paul is saying that I am indebted to Christ. Paul knew from what he had been saved. On the Damascus Road, we got the story there, and we like to talk about Damascus Road experiences and things like that. But as Paul was struck down, as he was going to literally persecute the Christian churches, and God saved him by no doing at all on Paul's part, he was not a voluntary person, a member in that, in that decision, and God saved Paul from this. And Paul here is saying that I am indebted to what Christ has saved me from. Paul said, I'm a slave. I am a debtor only to Christ. Only to Christ is who he finds his allegiance to. <clears throat> you know, um, Cheryl and I were talking, and um, she made a comment about somebody who mentioned something or whatever, <clears throat> and uh, an acquaintance, and... Um, you know, I, I'm struck sometimes, sometimes we wonder how some people can be so open, maybe with their past experiences or with their life and things like that. And I was reminded of, of, of this right here, that I think from those who have been saved, we've all been saved from a horrific life. But when we've lived a life that has been morally good by the human definition. I wonder if we have that sense of being a slave to what Christ has done, being indebted to him as someone who has lived an obvious life that goes against anything humanity would say is moral, and then is saved from that. There seems to be a sense. Yeah, have you run into those people? There seems to be a sense of that with them. And I think there might be something to learn from that. As Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. <clears throat> I am under obligation. I am in debt to what Christ has saved you from, me from. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, Paul there says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me. If I do not preach the gospel, if I do this voluntary, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. February 2nd, about 15 years ago, Woe is me, turned my life upside down. I have it taped in front of every preaching Bible I have, and yes, I've got a problem. I've got too many preaching Bibles, as Cheryl will admit. I tape that in front of everyone so I do not forget. I am a slave to Christ. 
I am under obligation of what Christ has called me or saved me from and called me to. And woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He says in verse 17, if I do this voluntary, there is a reward for that, Paul says. And then he goes on, but if, against my will. And Paul could certainly say he was preaching the gospel against his will. And Paul says, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul understood the calling that he was called to. He didn't see it as a voluntary thing. He didn't see it as an option. He was a slave. He was under obligation. And he was entrusted with a stewardship in all of Paul's life. No matter if he was writing to the church in Corinth, in Rome, in Thessalonica, the difficult letter to the Galatians, Paul knew his stewardship. And he fulfilled his mission his calling. He says in verse 15 of our text here, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel. I am eager to fulfill my my calling. I am eager for that. And this word here, eager, is just, it's an excited fervor. It's to accomplish some end. He is is eager. Interestingly enough, the word eager here, uh, uh, it, it comes from the root word, for anger. Interesting, isn't it? Passion can sometimes and often is mislabeled as anger. Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel, and he preached it in such a way full of passion. Galatians chapter 3, or Galatians chapter 5, verse 3. Speaking of obligation, Paul there writing to this church in Galatia, he says, I testify again to every man, every man who receives circumcision, that he is under obligation. If you want to live by the works of the law, you are under obligation. You're a debtor to the whole law, to the whole law, he says. And he started out his letter By saying, I am amazed that you have so quickly fallen away. You have so quickly deserted him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which he says, it's not really a different gospel at all. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. He is to be damned. And as we have said before, so I say now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. This is what got Paul so fired up here at this church in Galatia, that they went back to living under what God has saved them from. We often call those the five solas, right? in Christ alone, faith alone, Scripture alone is revealed in glory alone, for the glory of God alone, right? It's only those things. It's only through Christ, by His grace, as revealed in Scripture. By faith for the glory of God alone that we fulfill our calling. In verse 15 there, Paul said, or verse 14, 
Paul says, Greeks, barbarians, wise, foolish, what's he saying? Well, he's saying it's one message for all people. It's only one message, and it is for all the people, as John 14, 6 would tell us, you know, right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's only one gospel, and that's all that Paul preached. In verse 15, he says, so for my part, so for my part, this is what I do. I preach the gospel, and so I must ask you, right, what is your part? Not everyone is called to be preachers, but how are you fulfilling the work that Christ has given you to do. You've been saved on purpose for a purpose. You've been given a job and a responsibility. I wish I could help you to know what that is. I mean, sometimes we can certainly see traits within people. But you need to ask God for what that is. And Paul is saying here, for my part, this is what it is. Paul had a spirit of surrenderedness. That was his part, was to preach to those who are Rome, to wherever God would indeed send him. And this must be our spirit as well. It must be our spirit that maybe not as in a way in the capacity here as Paul, but in what God has called us to individually, corporately. What is God calling of us? How are we fulfilling his mission? We must be ready in season and out of season. And the best way, the biblical way, is to stay connected to a body of believers. We must stay connected one to another as Paul longed to get together with the believers in Rome so that they could be an encouragement to one another. Father, I, I pray a blessing upon your scriptures, upon these words that Paul had penned so long ago, and he didn't realize he, he was writing it for the church at Holly Grove, but you knew that. And so, Lord, as we try to make some application to Paul's passions, to Paul's eagerness, to Paul's desires. How does that apply to us? Father, I would invite your spirit to speak to us, to bring clarity to those areas that you have called each and every one of us to, and then also as a church to what you've called us to. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.